MSW Media. News was Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, September 23rd, 2020. Today, a secret CIA assessment that Putin was probably directing the Durkacz disinformation campaign to denigrate Joe Biden and help Donald Trump. And Mitt Romney kicks the white horse prophecy and says he will vote for a Supreme Court nominee. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. I know that sounded like an incredibly short introduction today. That's because it is. I am saving a few headlines for tomorrow, including some stuff about Russians on United States soil in Portland and, uh, you know, a couple things about Kanye and his campaign, some things Biden said. Uh, These things I'm going to discuss tomorrow because today we have a massive lead story that kind of groups in with another story and it all connects together. So we're going to do one of our famous good like OG Mueller she wrote connect the dots type situations for hot notes. Um, It is September 23rd. This month is flying by and gladly because I guess it's making up for the decade long March we had earlier this year. So. Today's show, we also have our Flip It Blue segment. We're going to be talking to Rick Kennedy. He's running as the Democrat in Texas's 17th district against his Republican challenger. We know him as Congressman One in the partisan Fruman indictment, and that is Pete Sessions. And I will also be talking to Andrew Torres, real-life lawyer and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, about Trump's likely judicial nominee, and you're not going to like it. And I'll also bring you the good news block and some confessions to wrap things up at the end. We do have this big, giant piece of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So this big, giant lead story I was talking about up front comes from an opinion piece by Josh Rogan, not Joe Rogan, um, (laughs) not Seth Rogan, Josh Rogan, in the Washington Post. Now, I am not sure why this is an opinion piece and why it's not just journalism, because two sources who have reviewed a secret CIA report from August 31st, an assessment called the CIA Worldwide Intelligence Review. We've talked about this report and how it sort of was blocked for a minute and it wasn't going to come out. Well, it's out. It's out now. It's allowed to be out now. And um, two people, two sources who reviewed this report told the Washington Post about about what they saw. So it seems like Straight up journalism to me. I'm not sure why it's an an opinion. Anyway, CIA analysts compiled this assessment with uh, all sorts of input from the NSA and the FBI um, based on several dozen pieces of information gleaned from public reporting, um, from unclassified intelligence, and from classified intelligence sources. This assessment includes details of the CIA's analysis of the activities of one Ukrainian lawmaker Andrei Derkach, and and this is he his his efforts to disseminate disparaging information about Biden inside the United States through lobbyists and through Congress and through the media and contacts with figures close to the president. Figures close to the president. Hmm. Wonder who that could be. Uh, quote: We assess that President Vladimir Putin and the senior most Russian officials are aware of and probably directing. Russia's influence operations aimed at denigrating the former U.S. vice president, supporting the United States president, 
and fueling public discord ahead of the U.S. election in November, unquote. That's the first line of the document, and that's according to these sources. The office of the DNI and the Treasury Department have identified Durkacz as a Russian agent. But it has not been publicly reported that the CIA, NSA, and FBI believe Putin may be personally directing the campaign. Durkacz has denied working on, be- on behalf of Moscow. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. The CIA assessment has described Durkacz's efforts in detail, says that his activities have included working through lobbyists. And we just know that two lobbyists in Washington, D.C. that were working with him quit and were cooperating with the government. So he's working through lobbyists, working through members of Congress. We know who that is. That's Ron Johnson and U.S. media organizations to disseminate and amplify his anti-Biden information. Could it be OAN? Probably. Stuff like Breitbart, Daily Caller, shit like that. Now, though it refers to Durkacz's interactions with a prominent person connected to the Trump campaign, the analysis does not identify the person. Giuliani, who has been working with Durkacz publicly for several months, did a podcast with him, did a show with him, is not named in the assessment. Open and ongoing? Probably. The CIA, NSA, and FBI all declined to comment, but none of these three agencies disputed any of the details in the reporting. Uh, Details about the intelligence used to form the assessment have been withheld at the agency's request to protect sources and methods. The White House has also declined to comment, which is interesting. Usually they come out and say lies. They didn't this time. And on September 10th, Following calls from Democratic lawmakers, the Treasury Department sanctioned Durkacz. We talked about this, remember? How Russian do you have to be to get sanctions slapped on you by Steve? Steve Mnuchin at the Treasury. The sanctions allege that he has been an active Russian agent for Ruckin. (laughs) That's a fucking Russian. Uh, Active Russian agent for over a decade. Maintaining close connections with Russian intelligence services. He's a fucking spy. Treasury Secretary Steve said in a September 10th statement that Durkacz and other Russian agents employ manipulation and deceit to attempt to influence elections in the United States and elsewhere around the world. Looking at you, UK. The Treasury Department said Durkacz waged a covert influence campaign centered on cultivating false and unsubstantiated narratives concerning U.S. officials in the upcoming 2020 presidential election. So Steve Mnuchin just told America... Well, this was when we reported it last week. That the dirt on Biden is unsubstantiated and false. And uh, and Steve said Durkacz did this by releasing edited, that's another word for falsified, audio tapes and other unsupported information that were then pushed in Western media. On August 7th, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, DNI, formerly Rick Grinnell, now Ratcliffe, issued a statement from the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. That's the NCSC. That's William Evanina, who we know has been briefed in Congress. And that report named Durkacz as part of a Russian effort to denigrate Biden by spreading claims about corruption, including through publicizing leaked phone calls to undermine former Vice President Biden's candidacy for the Democratic Party. And last week... FBI Direct- Director Christopher Wray referred to Evanina's statement in a testimony before House Homeland Security Committee referring to Durkacz by name. 
Ray said the FBI was tracking very active efforts by Russia to both sow divisiveness and discord. And I think the intelligence community has assessed this publicly, primarily to denigrate Vice President Biden. Uh, Trump responded to Ray by saying he was bothered by the FBI director, that he didn't talk about China's interference. ODNI has also reported that China and Iran are attempting to interfere in U.S. political processes, but Trump has personally promoted the anti-Biden information Durkacz's peddling. And on August 18th, Trump retweeted and since a, a since-banned Twitter user who posted part of a purported 2016 audio tape Durkacz released this year of Biden speaking with then-Ukrainian President Poroshenko. So Trump retweeted these falsified tapes with disinformation that Steve even says has disinformation and Chris Ray. And even Ratcliffe and Evanina in the DNI, in the office of the DNI. The tapes Durkacz released appear to show Biden linking loan guarantees to the ouster of then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin, who was accused of corruption, and the whole fucking Western world wanted him gone. Giuliani, who met with Durkacz in Kiev in December and in New York this year, has claimed the tape show Biden was working to protect his son Hunter, who at the time was on the board of the Ukrainian gas company Burisma. The release tapes show no, no such connection, by the way. Now, Kaludi Rudy has admitted Durkacz provided him materials as part of Giuliani's quest. <laughs> quest. Dun, 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 dun. Like, it's some sort of weird fucking DND thing. Giuliani's quest to prove wrongdoing by the Bidens and his contention that Ukrainian government interfered in the 2016 presidential election on the side of the Democrats, including by sharing evidence of corruption implicating Trump's second 2016 campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Polly Walnuts. Manafort was later convicted of tax and bank fraud related to his Ukraine work. Durkacz published some of these materials on a public website he created. <laughs> Durkacz told Politico in July that he passed along packets of materials to several lawmakers and White House officials. He said he notified Senators Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley, Lindsey O. Graham about the material. Johnson, Grassley, and Graham denied they received any such thing from Durkacz. Poppycosh, they said. I'm, that probably didn't say that. Maybe, maybe Graham did. Devin Nunes has declined to comment on whether he received materials from Durkacz. Democratic leaders wrote to Chris Wray in July to demand a briefing based on concerns that members of Congress were being used to launder information as part of a foreign interference operation. Johnson has launched an investigation into Biden and Burisma, the results of which could be released as early as this week. Yeah, we're going to believe that shit, Ron. The State Department provided Johnson with more than 16,000 pages of information for his investigation months ago, but only shared those documents with Congress on Friday following a subpoena by Elliot Engel. He's the House Foreign Affairs Committee chairman. After meeting with Durkacz in December, in the middle of Trump's impeachment proceedings, Giuliani tweeted that the U.S. aid to Ukraine might face a major obstacle if the Ukrainian government didn't resolve his concerns about corruption. Giuliani and Durkacz's allegations against Biden were covered extensively by the One America News Network, which sent a correspondent with Giuliani to Kiev. In February, Giuliani interviewed Durkacz on YouTube, where Durkacz alleged that the United States' aid to Ukraine was misspent. Hmm, pretexts for not having to hand over the money. 
in retrospect, of course. You can't pardon an impeachment, by the way. Now, even though Durkacz is a former member of a pro-Russian party attended, uh, who attended uh, the uh, Dzerzhinsky Higher School of the KGB in Moscow, that's spy school, Giuliani has consistently defended his relationship with Durkacz. Following the Treasury Department's announcement of sanctions on Durkacz, Giuliani told the New York Times, I had no reason to believe he's a Russian agent, but added, how the hell would I know? Engel <laughs> uh, told um, Rogan here at the Washington Post, he's not surprised to learn that parts of the intelligence community have concluded Putin is directly trying to help Trump's election campaign again. But he called on the administration to publicly, publicly release these findings. Quote, what's most infuriating is that the administration seems to be doing everything it can to hide the facts from Congress and the American people, he said. The president seems to be trying to turn the entire executive branch into an arm of his reelection campaign, dangerously politicizing foreign policy and intelligence. But is that really the case, Elliot? Really? Who throws a cupcake? Um, does this seem like the administration is trying to hide this to y'all? I mean, we have DNI Ratcliffe, FBI Chris Ray, CIA today Gina Haspel, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve, NCSC Director Evanina. We have the Department of Homeland Security intelligence reports that are coming forward. All Trump yes-men, all of them calling Durkacz a Russian intelligence agent, all accusing him of spreading Russian deza, desinformatia, to America, through the Senate, through lobbyists, and through the media. Lobbyists, by the way, likely under scrutiny by Brendan Van Grack in the FARA unit under Bill fucking Barr. All while Durkacz makes fake tapes and dossiers, commissioned, by the way, by Dmitry Firtash, and sending them to Republicans in parchment envelopes with calligraphy on them, recording podcasts with Durkacz on One America Network, not to mention... For Tosh is still awaiting extradition to the United States on a bribery scheme to Chicago, or, you know, if we're in India, he has to be extradited to Chicago. And guess who just popped up in the FinCEN papers from the ICIJ, making massive amounts of unusual transactions shielded from the public to places like Fraud Guarantee and Paul Manafort through shell companies offshore. Not to mention we've got a lot of ties to Mogilevich in there as well. And we're supposed to think Rudy is not the fall guy for this entire operation right now? Who I'm certain has been promised a pardon to not cooperate to take this fall. I mean, when have you ever seen this many Trump administration officials be cool with calling a Russian a Russian agent? and sanctioning him, and saying that interference is happening in the elections, and saying that it is to help Trump and hurt Biden. All of these agencies are saying it now. I'm wondering why Giuliani hasn't been indicted, right? Because Parnas and Fruman were just brought up on superseding indictments in the Southern District of New York, the very office Rudy Giuliani used to run, now run by Audrey Strauss, who was not fucking around ever since Barr tried to remove her old boss, Jeffrey Berman, and bring some dude into from New York. But Berman said, fuck you. It's Audrey Strauss or I'm staying. So it's Audrey Strauss. So she just slapped some superseding indictments in the Parnas and Fruman show. So here's what I think. 
I think Barr maybe tried to put someone friendly at Southern District of New York. And when they realized Berman wouldn't play ball, Trump started to throw Rudy under the bus. It's right around this time, right? March, April? Allowing Steve to sanction Durkacz after congressional calls. Leaking the CIA, FBI, DHS, DNI reports. Um, saying Putin is probably directing Durkacz to attack the election using Rudy and a couple of lobbyists in D.C. and some media outlets. Then we get the superseding partisan Fruman show from Strauss. Bam. So she's either closing in on Rudy or there's a big fight between Barr and the Southern District that's holding back. Or Barr is putting his thumb on the scales of the Farah unit in his own main justice department there, preventing a Farah felony from being filed and slowing that whole operation down. I don't know. I think the key is we will either hear from Van Grack, who could resign in protest or blow the whistle, or Rudy gets indicted, either because Trump wants him to be or because Audrey Strauss DGAF. I don't know. Look for those things to happen here pretty shortly. Those are my beans, and I'm sticking to them. We'll be right back with the man running against Congressman One, talking about uh, the Parnas and Fruman show. That's how he was referred to in the Parnas and Fruman indictment. Pete Sessions and his Democratic oppose, uh, opposition candidate is Rick Kennedy, and that's Texas's 17th district, and I can't wait to speak with him. Stay with us. After the Hey everybody, it's AG. This episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by our sponsor, CarShield. These days, computer systems have taken over the cars. The, the computers have taken over the cars. That is the new normal, from electronically controlled transmissions, touchscreen displays, dozens of sensors. I can't fix any of that myself, and neither can you. So, when something breaks, it can cost a zillion bazillion dollars. And now is not the time for expensive repairs, and we all need our cars. And I hate dealing with tech-related car stuff. So, uh, what I did was, uh, I got CarShield. I now have CarShield. And what I love most about their service is they have monthly plans that can be customized to fit your needs. The people at CarShield understand payment flexibility is an absolute must right now. And, and they'll take care of all your computer car repairs for you because they can cost a fortune. And they have affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repairs on stuff like computers and GPS and chips and electronics and all that. So there's no long-term contracts and no commitments. And CarShield gives you options others don't. So you get to choose from your favorite mechanic yourself or the dealership you want to go to. Um, they do the work, and then CarShield takes care of the rest. And they also offer you complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car where yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over a million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you have coverage from America's number one auto protection company. For as low as $99 a month, you can protect you, yourself and your car from surprises and save thousands for covered repairs. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code DAILYBEANS or visit carshield.com and use code DAILYBEANS to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code DAILYBEANS. A deductible may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. I'm blue. And joining me today for the Flip It Blue segment is a software engineer, project manager, father of three children who went to public schools in Round Rock. And this this man believes in principled compromise, evidence, fast, fact-based approaches to problem solving, 
and running against Pete Sessions, our friend Pete Sessions in Texas's 17th District. Rick Kennedy, welcome to Daily Beans. How are you? I'm doing great, Allison. Thanks. It's great to be here. Wonderful. I'm so excited to talk to you because our listeners are very familiar with Pete Sessions, also known as Congressman One in the Partisan Fruman Show, the indictment of Partisan Fruman illegally accepting potentially foreign money from from uh, horrible places that that uh, that our listenership is very familiar with. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, some of your platform and also your district, specifically the 17th district here in Texas. Can you tell us a little bit about the characteristics and the makeup of your district? Sure. Um, you know, geographically, it's kind of a, like a lot of gerrymandered districts. It's a funky looking district. There's a little tail that hangs off the southwest corner. Uh, takes up a slice of North Austin and Pflugerville, Texas, which is you know, the traditional uh, liberal blue area of central Texas. And then uh, it extends east all the way to Brazos County. So Texas A&M is in the district up to the northwest uh, to McLennan County. Um, so Waco and Baylor University are in the district. And in the far northeast corner, it takes in Freestone County. So there's a lot of uh, quite a quite a mix of um small urban, suburban, and lots of rolling uh, ranch and farmland in between. Mm, sounds beautiful. Um, and now Pete Sessions didn't serve in the Congress from your district. He kind of moved in, right? Oh, he, he not kind of moved in. He totally moved in. Um, you know, <laughs> if your listeners are familiar with, uh, with Mr. Sessions, they know that he served in the 32nd up in the Dallas area and got beat by Colin Allred in 2018. Um, and you know, when he lost up there, he didn't go home to Waco. He went home to Florida and, um, he didn't, uh, he didn't consider moving to Waco, uh, until the incumbent Bill Flores announced his retirement. And then I think a, um, a, a certain group of, uh, Republican party operatives, as well as big donors looked at that seat and were concerned that maybe they wouldn't have a strong candidate emerge, uh, to hold that seat, uh, for the Republicans. And they, parachuted in Pete Sessions. And, um, you know, Pete, he'll tell you, he'll tell you he was born, raised and lives in Waco. Um, what he won't tell you is he won't talk about the half century he lived anywhere but Waco. He left Waco back in 1969 when bell bottoms were all the rage. Uh, and he never looked back until, um, he never looked back until, uh, until Bill Flores announced his retirement. This seems to be happening. I've been interviewing a lot of candidates. This seems to be happening a lot with Republican congressional opponents that, that sort of are out of towners and they just sort of they're opportunists, right? They move in, they're looking for a seat. And like, for example, here, I'm close to the 50th in in California, where Duncan Hunter, who was indicted, and had to, uh, you know, step down from his seat. And we had Daryl Issa, who lost his bid in a different district, move down and try to take this one. It seems to be happening a lot, whereas with the Democrats I'm talking to want to represent the people in the district where they are. And I think that that is, says a lot about the motives behind why we're running. So could you tell us why you're running for this seat and, and why this district is important to you? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, in your in my intro, you you, you said I've got three kids, and and um, you know, my my oldest is now twenty years old, and he just started his sophomore year up at Baylor. My my daughters are sixteen and fourteen, and they're in the public schools down here, uh, in in Round Rock. Um, and you know, I I I 
we we chose Central Texas to make our home almost 15 years ago. We chose to to raise our kids here. We thought it was going to be a great place to raise our children. Uh, and so, you know, I've got, uh, you know, lived here almost 15 years. I've got, I've got a deep attachment to the area. And, you know, you combine that with the fact that I've, I've watched Congress shrivel as an institution over the last two and a half decades or so um, and, and become completely dysfunctional. If you look at the, at the last, if you look at the 20, 21st century, it's been a tough century for the country, right? We started with 9-11. We've been at war ever since. Then we had the Great Recession that devastated millions, and many of whom haven't fully recovered. Um, you know, the, the cost of housing, education, um, and, and health care have skyrocketed, while working in middle-class wages have, have not moved at all or barely at all. Uh, and, and people are in a tough spot. And throughout all of this, Congress has done nothing but get more and more dysfunctional, uh, more and more paralyzed, and, and hasn't done anything. And I think, you know, before we came on here, you, we were speaking about what a tough news weekend it was um, with Justice Ginsburg passing away and all of the anxiety that's caused amongst, you know, the, the, the general population about who's going to replace her uh, and what the process will be and what is Mr. Trump going to do? What is McConnell going to do? This is all symptomatic of the fact that Congress no longer serves the American people. Congress no longer legislates. Congress no longer works, and we're governed by executive order and Supreme Court decision. Now, of course, those two branches are they're, they're supposed to, they're, they're equal branches of government. They're supposed to be impactful to our lives. But that impact has been so amplified in the last quarter century um, because Congress, again, has, has, has stopped doing anything. And so the president has a tremendous amount of influence on our lives. Supreme Court decisions have tremendous amount of influence on our lives. And 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 Congress does nothing, and just by coincidence, it was twenty almost twenty five years ago that Mr. Sessions moved into Congress, and and um, you know he's one of the most divisive and and ideological characters, or was one of the most divisive and ideological characters in there, uh, and um, and I hold him and many others, of course, uh, on both sides of the aisle. To be honest with you. Um, I hold them responsible for essentially emasculating the legislative branch of the federal government. Yeah. And I mean, he's had played such a huge role in this this divisive nature that you're talking about, particularly with his, for example, his criticizing of Yovanovitch, a, a, a true, um, you know, frontline hero of, of democracy. And, and here he is working behind the scenes to try to get her ousted so that they can do some sort of, I don't know, gas deals. <laughs> uh, it's just really, it's, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Uh, and those, those are the kinds of reasons that, that these Republicans want these seats, not to represent the people in Washington. Absolutely. And so that's why I th think it's so important that you're running. And, um, I also wanted to, to talk to you about a little bit more about that divisiveness that you just brought up, because part of your platform here is to, for example, um, expand voter registration and reduce gerrymandering, which is huge, and then improve election security. Because I think that the way that Congress has sort of been bought and sold and the way that they're sort of gerrymandering and, and, and messing with the census and doing all these things is to suppress votes they they know that when when people vote they lose and so that's what they're out to do and so could you talk a little bit about your plans on trying to fix those issues yeah um 
Congress uh, enjoys, if that's the right word, it's not the right word, but Congress enjoys on average somewhere between an 18 to 22% approval rating. It flops up and down depending on what's going on um, from, from the general public, 18 to 22% approval rating. And yet we, every two years, we send 85 to 95% of our incumbents back. Um, so there's, you know, widespread, we hate Congress, but we love our congressmen sort of, uh, of um, uh, sentiment out there. But what it's really based on is the fact that um, incumbents have huge advantages and gerrymandering, gerrymandering is probably the hugest in, uh, um, uh, advantage of all. And um, so many of the members of Congress, uh, you know, less than 80% of the districts are considered competitive. Uh, and many members of Congress are far more concerned about getting primaried from somebody to the far, farther to the right or farther to the left from their own own um, party than they are about, you know, serving the people and winning a general election. Uh, and that's, you know, I really look at that as the fundamental root cause of, of so many of our problems right now. Um, to address that one, all Congress has to do to address that one is pass a law. And um, which, which, as we've discussed, they don't do anymore. But <laughs> all Congress has to do is pass a law. And, and take redistricting out of the hands of partisan state legislatures and put it in the hands of nonpartisan citizen commissions. Uh, it, you don't need an amendment to the Constitution. You just pass a law that says, hey, guess what? State legislatures, you don't get to do that anymore. Um, so while on the face of that, that sounds like an awfully simplistic answer, when, and when you get really down into the politics of it, it, it would actually be nearly impossible to do. Um, because the incumbents love the positions that they've got, and they love the leverage and the advantages that they've got. Um, but uh, to the to the rest of that, you know, the the divisiveness issue, issue the voter access issue, um, I, I would certainly support HR one before the People Act as it as it is written. Um, it's a huge uh, it's a huge bill, right? That expands voter registration and access, and improves election security, um, tightens ethics ac- across all three um, um, branches of government, and of course, you know, our our opponent Pete Sessions is famously ethically challenged, and that's being generous. Uh, um, uh, you know, it it, it would um, it, it would address all of these areas. Yeah, agreed. That would be something to definitely start work on, especially if we flip that Senate, too. Uh, And, you know, somehow get rid of that filibuster, uh, which has just turned into a political tool to bury bills, a la Mitch McConnell. But um, one of the most important things I've 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 spoken to Democratic candidates for Congress and Senate across the country, and it feels like the top issue right now is health care. We know the Trump administration is in court right now trying to completely dismantle the Affordable Care Act, which would take millions, tens of millions of people off their insurance. And during a time when we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and millions and millions of people have lost their jobs, which is tied to health care. Uh, and that creates massive, massive problems um, for working families, which you have, which is what you're, you know, that's your constituency there on the 17th. Can you tell right. us a little bit about what you want to do for health care? Yeah, I want to, um, I want to add a public option to enroll in Medicare, regardless of your age. Um, it, it, it should address all of the, the biggest challenges that we've got with our our healthcare system, and and not face the political headwinds that that maybe a, a Medicare for all would would face. Um, by by adding a public option to enroll in Medicare, we can achieve universal coverage. If you want to enroll, you can enroll. We can unlink, as you just mentioned, the link between employment and 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 healthcare. 
um, coverage, we can we can break that link, uh, and that will give Americans more freedom. You can move anywhere you want and keep your and take your health insurance with you. You can change jobs and take take your health insurance with you. You can start a business and and take your health care with you because it's no longer linked to your employer. Um, but it also and, it and all the price. and I, I I don't mean to interrupt you, but all the gig economy workers, especially right now, it, they they would have that coverage too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Americans don't like it when the government takes choice away from them. Right. So and this would this would actually expand your choice of, of health care options, not take choice away from you. So um, we wouldn't eliminate private insurance. We wouldn't elim- eliminate um, uh, employer based uh, subsidies on insurance. Uh, if you have those options, you like those options, you get to keep those options. But if you're in a different place, if you're if you're not able to get insurance through work or you're not able to get insurance otherwise, we provide an option on the table that lets you do that. Um, it, it would, uh, you know, the bills that are on the table also um, provide protection against medical bill uh, induced bankruptcy. It's the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in the country. Uh, and would certainly empower Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices and bring the prices down. So it's multiple wins across the board. Uh, I think it's the most achievable and the most effective way to, to uh, or most achievable, most effective next step in our this process of trying to to um, uh, modify our healthcare system so that every American is covered and has access to quality and affordable healthcare. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I'm a doctorate in public health and health administration, worked in public health forever. And I think that the um, public option, uh, I agree, is the way to go because it not only does everything you said, still gives Americans a choice. It is a necessary step on the way to a Medicare for all. Uh, as Gen Z uh, comes up and takes start taking leadership roles in the future, you're going to want that in place on the way to it if that's your ultimate goal. And also, I mean, we have to keep in mind that when you have a public option like that, it's going to force the private health companies to compete monetarily with a free option. So they have to they will have to offer uh, better uh, access to care, more timely access to care, higher quality evidence based outcomes in that care. And they're going to have to do it at a competitive price uh, and stop gouging the American families. Uh, for for this and and not cover pre-existing conditions and have you know these really sort of chintzy like d-class plans that that suck that don't really cover anything with huge right. deductibles it's right. like it's ridiculous so i think that i think you're right i think it's the way to go and i just want to interject that um and i'm sure your listeners already know this but pete sessions has voted dozens of times to repeal the affordable care act and take uh, take protections away for pre-existing conditions so um we all know what his his position is there mm, yes multiple times to- dozens you're right like 32 something and insane um, and of course, you know, uh, we're waiting for this great grand Republican health plan that was supposed to be out three years ago and then two years ago and then two months ago. And, and it's yeah, they're always like two weeks. We'll release it in two weeks. Let's, let's not hold our collective breaths. No, their plan is called the emergency room plan, where you go to the emergency room if you get sick and then the taxpayers <laughs> have to foot the bill anyhow. So that's us. Absolutely. That's their plan. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And then finally, before I let you go, I got another minute here. I'd like to uh, ask you about um, some of your education and student debt uh, platform things that you want to work on. Yeah, sure. Um, we, you know, it's a, it's a uh, 
first of all, as far as education goes, especially public education, we absolutely positively must renew our investments in public education. Um, and it, I would I would start first and foremost with a um, uh, universal pre-K. Uh, I know there's a lot of emphasis on on free college, free community college, or at least debt-free college, and that's all very important stuff. But we don't all go to college, but we all do go to first grade. Uh, and there are plenty of studies out there that show that the return on investment for uh, a universal pre-K program uh, is, uh, is, is more than worth the investment up front. And we're going to need an educated workforce to fulfill these 21st century jobs that we're going to create. Uh, we need a highly productive, well-educated workforce to, to, to maintain our position as the world's preeminent economy. Uh, it's an, an investment we have to take. But you know, to your to your point on student debt, um, here in Texas, the average graduate from college comes out with about twenty seven thousand dollars in debt. That certainly in, in, impedes their ability to fully participate in the economy. Um, that's a new car, right? That rather than rather than having that as student debt, that could be they could be buying themselves a new car um, and, and and putting that money back into the economy. So while I don't believe in universal for forgiveness. Uh, and putting all that burden back on the taxpayer, um, there are certainly things that we absolutely must do to to help these uh, help these folks who are totally burdened with these loans. So we can lower interest rate on student loans. The federal government shouldn't be making money off this. Uh, I'm a big fan of of service based loan forgiveness. Um, if you want to, you know, we've got a couple of counties here in the district um, that only have one or two general practitioners. If you're if you're a doctor and you want to start a practice in these areas. We should be able to to work out a deal and forgive your your, your student loan debt. Um, any other, you know, you want to teach in a, in in an underserved area, you should be able to get your student loan uh, student loans forgiven um, for 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 making that effort to help our society. Um, everybody, you know, the 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 hardest hit population uh, is those folks who took on some debt and but didn't get their degree. So if you get your bachelor's degree over the life of your career, you're likely to earn a million dollars more than somebody who didn't. That's why I eventually want you to pay back that debt, but do it in a managed fashion. But if you take on student debt and for some reason get interrupted and you don't get that degree, you're really in a jam. Uh, and in those situations, we certainly have to have an assessment policy where we can we can find a way to forgive that debt or help that person finish and get that degree. Um, and we should also be allowing these these loans to be discharged through bankruptcy so that we force lenders to come to the table uh, and engaged in good faith negotiation to to work through the problem and and, and release these folks from a burden that they'll never be able to, to overcome. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Especially a lot of the interests on some of these private loans where the banks are making money instead of it being put back into the economy. And uh, there's exactly. so many so many opportunities for programs. I'm a veteran, a disabled veteran. I worked at Department of Veterans Affairs for a long time. If we and we have a very huge shortage of ortho and ophthalmologists um, and, and physical therapists and nurse practitioner primary care providers, physician assistant primary care providers. If you, you know, I, I always felt like if you are a veteran and you're out of the service or if you're a civilian and you want to work for the Department of Veterans Affairs or some other government entity, we'll send you to school for that. Just give us a five-year commitment or a two, three-year commitment, something like that. And and uh, and serve the serve the country and, and in exchange for that kind of debt relief, I think I think these programs and these opportunities are 
plentiful. So I really, really appreciate what you're doing here. And thank you so much for talking to me today. You have so many other things that we didn't get a chance to discuss on your like criminal justice reform for, you know, for example, bail reform, body cameras, de-escalating crisis intervention, ending the war on drugs. Um, I, you have so many great things. Can you tell our listeners where to go to, to read the rest of your platform and the things that you want to do and also how they can volunteer, text bank, phone bank, and contribute to your campaign? Sure, you can do all of that by going to www.rickkennedyforcongress.com, all spelled, all single words, no digits, um, rickkennedyforcongress.com. If you want to volunteer, hit the hit the Get Involved button. If you want to donate, hit the Donate button. And, of course, all my position on all those issues are um, laid out, hopefully in enough detail to, uh, to make everybody happy, uh, under the Issues tab. So, um, get, you know, get in front of your screen and go go surfing and, and surf over to rickkennedyforcongress.com and um, and and let me hear from you. I want I want to hear what you have to say. Awesome, thank you so much again, everyone. That's rickkennedyforcongress.com. All words, no numbers. Uh, let's help him beat Pete Sessions, Congressman One. Let's help him do this. So head there now and thank you so much. Running for uh, Democratic candidate, running in Texas's 17th district, Rick Kennedy. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Allison. It's great to be here. Everybody stay with us. We'll be right back with the interview. Don't go away. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by PayPal. These are difficult times. There are so many new challenges that we face and and things have changed around us. But our inner drive to be there for the people we care about runs deeper than ever. It is crucial to stay involved and support our loved ones, our friends, our families, and organizations that support us and that we support. And when we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change. And we're finding new ways to connect and continue to support one another. We've started social distancing when we spend time with friends and explore local cuisine. And we're doing more to support and advocate for underrepresented communities as well. So what we need more than ever is an easy way to support each other from afar. And for me, that solution is PayPal. With the PayPal app, sending and receiving money is fast and easy. Stay connected with people you love uh, and quickly and securely send money to friends and family just about anywhere in the world. Start a money pool to split the bill. Go in on a gift or fundraise for a good cause. With PayPal, you can support the places and causes you care about the most. I recently donated to Act Blue and was able to send financial support to friends of mine who are in real need right now. And with PayPal, I can instantly donate uh, to a local nonprofit or support a cause from across the country. With PayPal, you can even make touch-free QR code payments at your favorite local restaurants or farmer's market. I just did that the other night. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly, and easily. Download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the interview. And joining me today to discuss the seemingly now inevitable Trump pick for the Supreme Court, and it hurts me to say that, is real-life lawyer, co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, and good friend, it does not pain me to say that, Andrew (laughs) Torres. How are you? Uh, I am. I love coming on your show. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, it's always like you're here when bad news happens, except for the one day that you submitted your amicus brief in the Flynn case. That was fun. That was a fun day. That was fun, Ed. That's still pending. So, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm here to talk about the end of the republic as we know it. Mm, mm, mm. Well, for now, you know, as long as we vote numbers too big to manipulate, we can talk about maybe what happens after the election if all goes well and people stop trying to vote for Green Party candidates and shit. Um, so Trump has said he's going to announce his pick to fill Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat this Saturday. We've already had multitudes of conversations about 
that. And this is just where we are now. Um, And it's really because of Mitt Romney that's paved the way for this, having announced today that he will vote to confirm, kind of kicking that white horse right in the ass for the white horse (laughs) prophecy. You know, two things with respect to that, right? So the, the first is, even if Romney were on board, that gets you three Republicans and no guarantee that Susan Collins wouldn't stab you in the back after she loses this November anyway. Right. You, I couldn't come up with the math to get to four, even with Romney. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about peeling off, I don't know, Chuck Grassley or something like that. So, well, you know about the pigeons and the deer carcass and, the, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on with Grassley we don't know about. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is not a robust defense of Mitt Romney, right? To to the contrary, right? He is the weather vaniest of senators uh, in, in the Senate. And I, I think you can read into the fact that Mitt Romney has said he's going to back Trump on his judicial nominee uh, as an indication that Republicans believe, and I think they're probably right, uh, that having this be an issue in in the month and, you know, five weeks leading up to the election uh, benefits them over the status quo. Um, we're, we're not talking about the fact that Donald Trump has killed 200,000 Americans. We're not talking about the fact that he's a criminally insane game show host in, in charge of a republic during its worst crisis ever, uh, you know, certainly in the past hundred years. Uh, instead, we're talking about the kinds of, of hot button issues that that cause ordinarily sane Republicans to be anti-Trump to say, well, I do like the fact that he's stacking the judicial branch with 30-year-olds. So that's that's <laughs> how I read Romney. Yeah, and Romney, of course, is uh, anti-choice, pro-life, hardline. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this benefits him. But yeah, still, though, fuck him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Trump has said uh, he will nominate a woman Uh, And the top pick, of course, is Amy Coney Barrett, whom he should have nominated when he should have pulled Kavanaugh's nomination for being a rape, uh, accused of rape. Uh, But he couldn't uh, pull the Kavanaugh nomination for reasons we still aren't sure about, but probably involve Justin Kennedy and Deutsche Bank and some sort of a deal and debts being paid off. But I don't know. That's just speculation. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to be on record that, that that's beans, but <laughs> it's totally beans. But I mean, you know, it would have been so much easier to pull the Kavanaugh nomination and put a woman in there, uh, and and that woman would have been Amy Coney Barrett. But now she's the top nom- nominee. She was at the White House today or yesterday. Yesterday, I think. Tell us who who is Amy Coney Barrett? Okay, Amy Coney Barrett is. 48 years old. That's the primary qualification that uh, has led her to be the front runner uh, for this Supreme Court seat. She has been on the federal bench for two and a half years. She was uh, a professor at Notre Dame Law School and then was nominated directly to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit uh, back in May of 2017. That was expected to be a contentious nomination, and it was. Uh, It was uh, 55-45, peeled off uh, Joe Manchin and um, and I think Kristen Sinema. Um, But uh, it it is not, I I, I want to say, appointing a, a young law professor professor directly to the U.S. Court of Appeals is not that unusual um, because as an appellate judge, right, 
that the fact that you don't have experience as a trial court judge is is less important. Appellate courts don't do Decide the facts, they decide the law. Uh, so she earned a majority report of uh, well qualified from the ABA, and a minority report of qualified. Which I, you know, that's that's probably right. I would have I would have been in the minority. Look, like qualified is like when you get your performance review, right? Like if if you get a meets expectations, <laughs> that means you're probably not long for 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 that job, right? It it uh, I I think it was difficult to say that she was uh, extremely well qualified to be on the Seventh Circuit, uh, but but there you go. She's been on the Seventh Circuit for two and a half years. It. it it, it is absolutely our three years by now, right? It, it is absolutely uh, not a stretch to say you should have more time on the bench before going up to the Supremes for the next four decades. But um, that that lack of experience is not going to cause any of the Republicans not to vote in lockstep for her. Yeah, now, uh, what... Um... What sort of decisions has she rendered? What's her stance? What's her thing? What's her uh, what's her flavor? So huh? here's the, <laughs> there are a couple of things here. First, right, she is a doctrinalist society conservative. She has laid low since being appointed to the Seventh Circuit because uh, it everyone knew she was sort of Trump's next pick to the Supreme Court. Trump himself offhandedly said, I'm saving her in case RBG dies. Um, so not surprising to see that. He, here's what I want to flag for you, because this is an area that has really peeled off and split Democrats. And, uh, and you're going to see it in full force if she is the nominee. And it is this. Amy Coney Barrett is an exceptionally conservative Catholic. And there is a segment, it, it, Joe Biden is a Catholic, right? Like there, there is uh, no religious test or qualification, uh, right, to, 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 to hold office in the United States. And there is this undercurrent of sort of pro-religious Democrats uh, that, that, during uh, Barrett's first confirmation hearing in 2017 to the Seventh Circuit, uh, and and are going to reiterate it again if she is the Supreme Court nominee, are going to advance this idiotic line that says you can't ask her about her religious beliefs, and that's toxic and wrong and stupid. And here's why: mm. in in 1960, when John F. Kennedy was the Democrat. Democratic nominee for president, he gave one of the most inspiring speeches ever given by any presidential candidate ever, right? That there was a, an undercurrent of Catholic bigotry. We'd never had a Catholic president. And, and people said, hey, are, are you going to be more loyal to the Pope in Rome than to the United States? And John F. Kennedy took to the airwaves and gave uh, it. it I'm not kidding. I mean, one of my all-time favorite political speeches, right? And and said, I believe in an America in which the separation of church and state is absolute. I'm not going to try and do a, a Kennedy impersonation, right? Um, I believe. Yeah, we chose to go to the moon in this decade. Right. Um, it, it, this decade, yeah. yeah decade. And do the other things. Right. So look. It, it, <laughs> I, like, I like how I like how the uh, do the other thing. It's kind of like a... Uh, you know, the, and and the rest right. here on Gilligan's <laughs> Island. And what other things? Gilligan's Island reference there. But, but look. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Here's, 
here's what Kennedy had to do. And, and you could argue fair or not, but, but, but what he had to say was my public commitments to Catholicism are subordinated to my civil commitments that I take under the oath of the constitution. Right. And that's the way it should be. If you read article six and, 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 and you will see these commentators coming forward and saying, well, our article six says, you know, there shall be no religious test to, to, uh, as a uh, qualification to hold any office or public trust under the United States. And, and they're going to use that like a cudgel. It grossly misreads the constitution. Article six says the constitution and the laws made pursuant thereto are the supreme laws of the land. And judges in every state shall be bound thereby, right? So when you read this in context, what it says is you are obligated as a potential judge under Article 3 to swear an oath to the Constitution first and to your religious beliefs, to other, right, to everything else second. And the problem, and I realize we took kind of a winding road to get there, is that Amy Coney Barrett has written extensively uh, while a law professor at Notre Dame suggesting that religious beliefs can trump constitutional beliefs. Now, she hasn't said that outright. That's why you have to question her, right? And to shut down that line of questioning is profoundly dangerous, profoundly anti-democratic. We need to know. A senator needs to look at Amy Coney Barrett and say, when you have a case before you that conflicts with your religious beliefs, will you decide that case according to the Constitution or according to your religious beliefs? And she needs to answer that question. And if our side is giving a pass to, to Judge Barrett when she says, and I, I, I can predict this right now, she will say, uh, you know, with high dudgeon, like I, the, the article six of the constitution says there's no religious test for office. And uh, I dispute the premise and it is rank bigotry. It is not our judges are civil judges first. They can have whatever religious beliefs they want, but you have to uphold the constitution first and foremost. I know I'm a bit of a broken record on that point. Well, sure. But I mean, <laughs> what, and, and, and then no and then because what's going to happen is the republicans are going to go great and they're going to vote her in and they're going to seat her and yep. so now um you know it, i i hope the democrats push back on that but so what then it's just on the record that they didn't like it yep <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh but i i do appreciate that it needs to be said because it's very very fucking important um but you know now we're faced with what next? And what next is, and I think that um, there's been a couple of discussions um, about possible impeachment because, and we've ta I've already talked to a few folks about this uh, on the pod, but one of the options that, that Nancy Pelosi didn't deny she had in her quiver of arrows was to impeach Barr or impeach Trump again, and that would, uh, by the Senate's own rules, they would have to give priority to that, though I'm sure Mitch would just change the rules yeah. uh, and push it through. So that may, you get, might get a couple of days delay, and you may be able to delay it beyond the election, uh, and they could do this in the lame duck session, you, but you may be able to get it beyond the election, and uh, and Mark Kelly could be seated by November 30th per Arizona law because it's a special election because Doug douchebag, Doug Ducey is the one who put Martha McSally in that seat after McCain died. She didn't win it. She actually lost to cinema. 
and so if Mark Kelly wins, he could be seated early by Arizona law. And then you get one more, but we still, the math doesn't work because Romney's out now. Yep. And uh, so now we're looking at, we have to vote. We have to landslide Biden into, into the White House. We have to flip the Senate. And we have to kill the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And then, and hold the House. And then, <laughs> and only then, if Biden's into it, can we expand the court? And if we only expand the court to 11, that's still a 6-5 court, conservative. You'd have to expand the court to 13, which is how many appellate courts we have, right? I mean, don't we have 13 circuits or something? Yeah, We have 11 circuits plus the federal ah. circuit. I, you know, so it... it, it I don't think there's a particular that we have 11 number circuits plus the U.S. Court of Appeals for the federal circuit. But I don't think there's a magic mm. number here with respect to expanding the, the, the judiciary. Here's my plan. Right, I agree with 100 percent of everything that you've said. And, I, and, and by the way, I want to say, like, I am on record on my show. I went on David Pakman's show in 2017 and I said Democrats <laughs> should not be talking about court packing. Um, and the reason was that in 2017, if Trump wanted to pack the court, there was literally nothing that could have stopped it, right? Like the Republicans controlled both houses of Congress. Uh, they could have blown up the filibuster and added, you know, eight new judges to the Supreme Court uh, back in 2017. So the argument was, you know, let's not uh, uh, let's not go there. Um, I, that's where I am now. And 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 uh, and so I on on. On the long list of things that I've been wrong about, uh, not court packing is another thing that I was wrong about. And and the reason is uh, all of the arguments that I made at the time remain valid arguments, right? How, however many seats the Democrats add in 2021, if Republicans ever retake uh, you know, both uh, Congress and the White House at the same time, they'll add twice as many, right? We we know that this is going to be a, a war that escalates without end in the middle term. Um, the problem is we don't get to the middle term unless we take drastic action, right? It, it, I, I want you to think about it this way. When, when Amy Coney Barrett is added onto the Supreme Court, and again, uh, you know, think of uh, the justices as sort of a number line from zero to 100, you know, zero being most liberal, 100 being most conservative. Right now, the center of gravity is John Roberts, probably a 93, right? If you're thinking of him as some kind of crazy moderate, go, go read his dissent in Obergefell and get back to me. Right. Um, but, but John Roberts can be shamed. Um, that's, that's his strategy right now. Sure. So you could have a six, five with him as the swing. Yeah, right. Well, with Barrett on the court, but, but before we add any seats with Barrett on the court, the, the swing justice, the, the fulcrum, the center of the Supreme Court is now probably Neil Gorsuch at a 96, right? It is now no longer shame John Roberts. It is craft an argument that appeals to the narrow textualism of Neil Gorsuch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do that. You can you can you can tailor your arguments to these specific judges. Gorsuch has gone our way on a couple of these big cases recently, especially in the summer term. But the other way to handle this is is to just sort of avoid the Supreme Court by legislating. And if you've got the House and the Senate, bingo, bingo. Yeah, but 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 so a couple of things, right? The 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 first is I have no confidence that a an act 
activist right-wing Supreme Court won't just start striking down legislation uh, that is passed by the Biden administration as being unconstitutional. Um, it it won't have a good argument, but that hasn't stopped this court so far. Um, I, I also want to add, everyone is talking about court packing from the perspective of adding Supreme Court seats. The way in which I think we shift the 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 balance in favor of Democrats in the medium term in terms of playing hardball is not just by adding Supreme Court seats, but by doubling the size of the federal judiciary. Yeah. Oh, yes. And we have we, we've talked about that, too, Andrew. Uh, but although I would say we don't call it court packing, we call it court expansion. <laughs> I, I call it I call it the Judiciary Act of 2021 and doubling the size of the federal judiciary. And the great part about that is, uh, I mean, there are lots of great parts about it, but but in terms of the well, you get those you get those cases settled on those federal benches. It gets up to the Supreme Court. They have to overturn shit. They're not likely to do that, you know, less likely. And the cycle that you start is one that plays into Democrats, right? Because if it, Republicans have no compunction about you know adding, we add three uh, seats on the Supreme Court, they'll add six into. 2024, whenever they retake the White House. But if we double the federal judiciary, are, are Republicans going to double it again? Right now, we get into the point where, <laughs> great, oh, good, you're expanding the federal bureaucracy. Good work. Um, it 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 plays into the strengths of the Democrats as opposed to you know the party that says, oh, you believe in small government. Every I have several friends who are judges. Yeah. All of them will tell you they're over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I take nothing off the table for Republicans. Nothing. Uh, well, they of have said they have said you can use my own words against me. If this ever happens again in an election year, I will say that you do not nominate a judge. And then here we I mean, like I, it can't be any more explicit uh, and hypocritical. So I, I don't take anything. They might come in and double the federal. They tripled the fucking deficit and they're supposed to be the, the <laughs> national debt hawks. So, yep, well. you know, what? Yeah, like spare me on your uh, Republicans don't like. No, I don't mean you spare me. I mean, yep. like Republicans spare me on your on your on your hypocrisy. But um, we've got about <laughs> we've got about 30 seconds left. If you if you have any final thoughts you want to share about Amy or the future or Court expansion, the the Supreme Court, Judicial Court Act of 2021? Yeah. So I think what you said is exactly right. This is not a winnable fight. And so what Democrats need to do is, is look at it, say, all right, if you're going to engage in this kind of rank hypocrisy, then we're going to do the same, right? Then, all, then it's just realism. It's just who has the levers of power, put us in power in 2021. And we need to start talking about as that first step. We've got to blow up the filibuster because all, none of this happens mm -hmm. un, until we do that. We can. Uh, and I think we start nationalizing these races. And, and you could also then codify Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that if there is a if there is a, a conservative justice, uh, conservative bench, which there will be, at you know, in the medium term, like you said, then you're going to get lawsuits coming out of the South and then they'll challenge them and they'll probably like say that your legislation is unconstitutional. But at least that takes a minute while we double the federal <laughs> the federal bench. <laughs> it's it's look, I don't like coming on to say this. I've been the institutionalist, the guy who believes in the rule of law, the guy who says, well, let's care about and, and there we are out of peaceful options. It's yep. just the way it Fuck is. Em.
Fuck those dudes. Somebody made me a cross stitch that says fuck those dudes, and it's my favorite thing. Uh, I look at it every day. Someone wants to make that for me. I would gladly display it in the opening arguments offices. (gasps) Okay, when's your birthday, Andrew? October the 7th, so... Well, look how perfect. (laughs) Look Look at that, October the 7th. I have a hearing on October the 7th myself, actually, so I will be... I will be scamming on your birthday energy for for good luck. You'll be doing law stuff. What better tribute? I I wish I wish we could spend it together, but um, uh, I do. And this is for me to uh, to get uh, attorneys' fees paid and court costs paid as the prevailing party. So it's a good hearing. It, it's it's law and it's money. Like what could what could possibly be better than that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been so great to talk to you. Everybody, please check out the Opening Arguments podcast. I want to come back on again soon, and I haven't taken one of your uh, bar quizzes yeah. in a while, and uh, I I think I might be taking the LSAT pretty soon. I don't know. So we'll see. Um, let me know and uh, say hi to the co-host for me, Real Life Lawyer, Opening Arguments podcast, friend of mine, Andrew Torres. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you so much. Everybody hang out. We'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG. I try to stay in shape, but I get bored really fast with the same workouts, so I'm always looking for new routines and exercises to keep me engaged and motivated. If you're like me and you're looking for an exciting workout that gets out the stress of the day and is always fun and challenging but never boring, you have to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp is an at-home boxing and bodyweight workout taught by real fighters, and it's made for all levels from first-time boxers to seasoned fighters, and it is even great for kids. It is so much fun. The I just did one with my goddaughter. It was hilarious. And the boxing workout is always ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape, and it's honestly one of the most fun ways to get a full-body workout and combine cardio and strength training while developing hand-eye coordination, so it keeps your brain on top of things, too. Fight Camp provides all the gear you need, gloves, wraps, and the best freestanding punching bag on the market, and their unique punch tracking sensors that allow allow you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device, which is really helpful. I'm really competitive with myself, so that, that I really like that feature. The workouts are structured like traditional boxing rounds with intervals of three minutes of high-intensity boxing and bodyweight training and then one minute of rest. So you get that high-intensity interval training. Really burns fat fast. You can access over 400 workouts for all fitness levels and skills with four new ones every week. Four new ones every week. You can connect with Fight Camp on Facebook, too, over 4,000 members, and you have challenges and share successes and get support from the online community, and you can even access a leaderboard for some competition. So watch yourself, uh, you know, reach a new milestone. Uh, bring that goal-crushing mentality to every part of your life. We have to do it in November, right? So Fight Camp can get you ready for that. It keeps you engaged, focused, and in the zone. Endless variety, uplifting beats, motivating trainers, and powerful technology all come together to create this uniquely satisfying workout. So Fight Camp offers flexible financing, 0% APR, and right now, as a limited-time offer, you can try Fight Camp free for 30 days and a money-back guarantee. So just go to Join Fight camp.com slash daily beans that's right try fight camp for 30 days if you don't love it they'll refund your money train like a fighter turn your sweat into results try fight camp for 30 days just go to join fightcamp.com slash beans that's join fightcamp.com slash beans all right everybody welcome back it's time for the good news well we'll float on good news is on the way All right. First of all, thank you to all of our listeners who have sent in their good news stories, confessions, corrections. You can send yours in if your good news story is personal or political. We'd love to hear all of it. And you could send your confessions for quarantine confessions or corrections for when I screw up. And you can do all of that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking contact. And then there'll be a little drop down menu and you can decide what you want to send. 
And you could, there's even just a, like a say hello thing. If you have something to recommend or if you want to recommend a Flip It Blue segment, you know, if you want to hear your uh, Democratic candidate that's running in your district uh, on our show, you can send that there, recommend them and include their contact information or their Twitter handle. Some way we can get a hold of them. That'd be really great. And, um, you know, it's that's how we communicate with you. And this Friday, we are having our meet and greet happy hour. It's going to be mailbag day, too. We've got two weeks of mail stacked up, and you guys have sent me so many packages, and I can't wait to open them. So I'm going to open them live during that. It starts at 4 p.m. Pacific for patrons, and then we open it up to the public at 5 for a half an hour. If you are not a patron and you want to become one, you can go to patreon.com slash Mueller, she wrote. Or uh, if you want to sponsor a patron, um, you you know, for 36 bucks, you can buy a year for them. Um, and you could do that at dailybeanspod.com. And if you want to sign up to receive a free donated one-year membership, you also do that there at dailybeanspod.com. You scroll down to the bottom of the front page, and it's right there. So our first submission is from D. D, letter D, pronouns he, him. Hello, ladies. I'm a longtime self-dubbed Beansbro who uh, has been following the podcast basically since its inception. I have always enjoyed the in-depth reporting and all the guest interviews. It's really helped me to find hope and context during all of the constant chaos that has been this administration. Unfortunately, back in March, when we first went into quarantine, both my husband and I had to rapidly shift to work, teach, and survive from home schedules with our two recently placed foster daughters. During this time, I also lost my job, and I tried my best to create some normalcy for our growing girls. I slowly spiraled into a depression and lost a little bit of hope I had as well. Everything felt so heavy. One day after listening to your good news segment, you inspired my husband and I to begin sharing good news each day to help the girls focus on the silver linings through all of the challenges that were facing us. We now have made this a permanent part of our daily practice. So thank you so much for that. As an added bonus, I'm delighted to share that not only have I secured a new position, but we are almost finalized with the pending adoption of our daughters. Um, from our forever family to you, you'll forever be in our hearts, be in our hearts. Got it. Just a little dad humor. Good. You're good at the dad jokes, D. Okay. That, um, a little tears there. Um, first of all, amazing. You, um, are adopting foster daughters and second of all, congratulations on your new position. And third of all, what an awesome tradition to have some good news segments in your life and your family. So congratulations. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. Greetings from over the pond in the UK. Been listening for over a year now, thanks to a recommendation by my mate, Johnny. So big props to him. Props, Johnny. We're having an election watch party in Belfast in November with another friend to watch the results come in and hopefully see you guys show us Brits how to remove a bumbling despot from power. <laughs> my good news is about my inspirational father-in-law an expat from Yorkshire in the UK, but now permanently residing in the United States. He was so moved by the Black Lives Matter movement, he decided to stand at a different junction around his gated community each day over the past few weeks, wearing his BLMT and holding a placard supporting Black Lives Matter. As a white British man, he has decided to show that he's an ally to the movement. Not only that, but he hatched a plan to start an inclusive group in his local area and held the first meeting last week and had 50 people turn up outside with masks on. He opened and spoke from the heart for five minutes and then opened the floor. And for the next two hours, different people spoke and told their experiences. The guy's been an inspiration to my wife and me, and I know his wife is massively proud of him. Oh, 
That's wonderful. Thank you, Anonymous. That is such good news. And I know you got your own shit going on over there in the UK right now with Brexit 4, Brexit 5. Which Brexit are you on now? <laughs> so The totally illegal one that's internationally illegal? Yeah. Well, what an inspiration that your father-in-law is. Thank you for sending that in. Next up, from Jay, pronouns he and him. Following up on political happenings, I have my Biden-Harris and Mia Mason signs out front of my house, and now I've noticed my neighbors are slowly putting up their Biden signs. I've counted seven so far. Also, unlike four years ago, no signs or flags for the orange menace. This makes me very happy. Also, I want to know how Dana knew my cat, Thrall, was a jerk. He is a 20-pound black cat, and she guessed. He rules the house, beats up the dogs and the other cats, and is an all-around dick. <laughs> Despite his asshole nature, he's the most lovable cat with humans and always knows when you are sad or sick and you need a kitty. I've included a pic of the big jerk and my yard signs. Thank you for all you do, awesome ladies. Jay, that is so great. And by the way, we just had Mia Mason on, so that's wonderful. Mia for Maryland. Oh, there's there's the asshole. I'll have to tell Dana. Dana will be here tomorrow. She's traveling today. Oh, there's the bad, bad kitty. Mm, so cute. And he's got a bell, so you know he's coming. Yeah, he looks like a dick, <laughs> but I want to pet his belly. Okay. What's he sitting on? Is that a remote? My cats do that. You're like looking for the remote. It's under the cat. And then there, Biden, Harris, and Mia Mason. Oh, that's a beautiful little yard. Cool. Thank you. Next up from Anonymous. Well, we'll send these pictures out in the newsletter, by the way. Next up is from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. I am married to a Vietnam veteran with 100% disability due to PTSD. He was an interrogator. He is super smart, well-educated, well-read, and well-traveled, but he's damaged. I'm his third wife, but I've got the longest tenure, 14 years. Some days are very difficult, but most are lovely. He's a very solitary figure, no friends, no outside activities. He loves to putter about in the yard and watch financial shows and old movies. <clears throat> He's a lifelong Republican, while I'm a moderate to liberal Democrat. We have come to a uh, detente about this because he usually sits out elections and doesn't vote. This time I told him he just had to vote. He bristled at the idea and said if he did, he wouldn't vote for Trump. I said, not good enough. I'm very active in social politics and local politics, and I've been working hard to support local progressive candidates and voting rights in general. I belong to the League of Women Voters and the local Indivisible Group. Awesome. I phone bank, text bank, write postcards, fundraise, door knock, march, and attend rallies and candidate forums. I said to him, not voting for Trump is one thing, but not voting for Biden is another. Biden needs your vote to win over Trump. You can't sit this one out. If you do that, then what's the point of all the work I've been doing? <laughs> He has told me he's proud of my work, but he also hates being told what to do, and I get that. He harumped, hum, 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 and then walked away, but soon after, he came to me and said, I'll vote for Biden and the rest of your candidates. I told him they, I told him they weren't my candidates, but I appreciated that he had considered what I had to say and thought about what was at stake. I know that through me, he has come to know why, candidates, why the candidates I support as real, decent, qualified people. He has very little knowledge about the GOP candidates. I'm not sure if he... He's thought more about his positions or if he's just trying to please me, but I'll take it. This is a big thing that happened in our household. The attached photo is of me wearing one of the, 20, uh, 200, one of the 200 vote masks I made as, as a fundraiser for voter outreach campaigns. It's <laughs> so great. I think what he's doing is he's saying that, you know, you've done all this work. He kind of hasn't. Everyone wants to be happy. You're going to make the right decisions and he trusts you and loves you. And I think that's why he's doing it. That's what I'm going to say. And this, these masks are so great. Look at this. 
Well, you can't see it. I'll send it out in the newsletter. I'm talking to you like you're all sitting right here. Look at this. Would you guys look at this? Just look. Um, next up from anonymous pronoun she and her. Hello, ladies. Greetings from Canada. I have a good news story. I'm still in shock over. My sister-in-law recently moved into the space I rent out to help cover some of the costs. Her jackass husband, my brother, (laughs) passed away a couple of years ago, leaving her alone in an apartment that was too large and expensive for her to handle. He was a jackass, not a big loss. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, my sister-in-law got onto the subject of the upcoming election, and she mentioned that she never voted. Ever. She was born in the United States, and when they got married, she moved to Canada, but had decided to keep her U.S. passport just in case. She knew he was a prick all along, but stayed together for their kid. She explained to me that at the time that voters had to be 21 years old, she was 19 since she was living here um, in Canada. She wasn't sure what to do or who to vote for anyway. After a lengthy discussion, I finally got around to telling her about a recent The Daily Beans episode where you talked about absentee ballots for citizens living in other countries. I found the episode and replayed it for her. I suggested to her that if she had an up-to-date U.S. passport, she could probably request a ballot. I really didn't think she took me seriously, but the very next day she told me that she had talked to her kid and that not only is she a newly registered voter, but requested an absentee ballot. Can you imagine voting for the very first time at age 74? The amount of pride, confidence, and honor that she was expressing was simply mind-blowing, something I haven't seen from her in my lifetime. We both had tears of joy sneaking out of our eyes. I have been a patron for just over a year. I'm really enjoying the Mary Trump Book Club. Thank you for all you do to keep all the BS and a little bit less crazy. Love you all. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Anonymous. All right, next up, we've got two more stories here. The next one is from Katie, pronouns she and her. My good news is partially a shout out to my best friend, Morgan. Hi, Morgan, from Katie, for inspiring me to get involved in politics. She and I were technical theater workers together, but now she's a campaign manager of a Florida State House race, doing amazing work. Oh, we are about to have Annette uh, Coyazzo on the show. She's a Florida State House candidate in Florida's 110th, so let me know. Anyway... Uh, Katie says, I started text banking with her uh, campaign from New York City. It was so rewarding. I adopted Pennsylvania, and I've been almost constantly text banking for Back to Blue PA since August. This week, a staff member reached out and asked me if I would train to be a volunteer leader. Yes, I would. I did my training this week and was on the Zoom call with them when the news about RBG broke. It felt so good to have a group to mourn with. I was back to texting today and got so many people wanting to volunteer. It's been a hard quarantine, but volunteering has given me a reason to get up and do something every day. My cat, Tater Tot's new favorite thing is to snuggle on the couch while we listen to the Daily Beans and contact voters. Thanks for everything you do. Oh, here's Tater Tot. (gasps) Gray and white tabby. Hello. I had a cat like this named Ned. Ned, Ned the Head, Needle Nose Ned. Man, I got a couple of movie references in today if you guys can pick them up. I'd be really interested to know. You can tweet that at me, at Allison Gill, or at Muller She Wrote, or at Daily Beans Pod. Got a lot of Twitter accounts. Jeez. Oh, look at Tater Tot. Okay, I will send that out in the newsletter. Finally, confession. There's a confession from Anonymous. Um, skeptic. I thought, I, what was that meant for? Anonymous skeptic. Hmm, I don't know that word. That's one I don't know. Let's see. Oh wait, we have two more left. Let me let me look let me look this up. Omphiloskeptic. It says one who contemplates or meditates one's navel. Okay. There we go. Belly button. This is a belly button person. No pronouns. 
Uh, I flopped on the couch one COVID day. I scratched my belly and then scratched my nose and discovered a most foul smell. I discovered the smell came from the depths of my belly button. I shower daily and think of myself as having good hygiene. Turns out I've been totally diluted. Belly buttons are nasty. I now take a cotton swab dipped in hydrogen peroxide to it. All these years wasted. What might have been better about my life had I known this embarrassing truth about myself? <laughs> that was a fun journey. I looked up, all full of skeptic. And uh, and then we, we went on, on a journey about your belly button and some Q-tips. Thank you, Anonymous, for sending that in. And finally, from Diane, said, this is our final, this is a piece of good news here, and pronouns are she and her. Good news, yay, I became a patron today. Thank you. Uh, I started listening to the podcast during lockdown in March, and the beans was one of my first. Not uh, being very tech savvy, I needed my husband's help to do this. So when he walked in, sat down and started singing the Daily Beans, Daily Beans, from your intro, I knew the time was right. I had to strike while the iron was hot. He did it. No problem. He even stepped up to $5 a month so I can get stickers. Oh, he's such a good dude. Love him. Anyhow, AG, I hope you can get the money to go to law school. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks for keeping us well-informed, sane, and laughing. Here's a photo. It was taken over four years ago when we rescued these little monsters, and now they're all grown up. It's hard to get a pic like this again. Okay, this is a photo of one, two, three, four, five cats. And they're gray and fluffy. They're long-haired, and they got fluffy coming out of their ears, so they look like Maine Coons. You'll have to tell me if I'm right or not, Diane, if these are Maine Coons. And there, it says hashtag Cats Against Trump, which is a great acronym. It's just CAT, Cats Against Trump. Taco Cat is the same backwards and forwards, in case you didn't know. Taco Cat. And, and here are their names. Tanner, Kiki, Rick, Rick, <laughs> Dixie, and Chewy. And you know what's really amazing, Diane? My very good friend Sonia has a cat named Chewy, identical looking to this cat. Sort of the gray fluff. So here we go. Tanner, Kiki, Rick, Dixie, and Chew. And I will, I will also include this picture in the next newsletter, which comes out on Mondays now, I think, and it comes out in your Patreon feed, not in your email box, because everyone was going to the junk mail. People were missing it. It was hard to find. So we're just going to put it in the Patreon feed right there for you. Nice linkity link. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. That is the show for today. I don't really have any final thoughts uh, other than um, just thank you all so much for listening. I've got some good news coming up soon this week. Um, and I can't tell you about it yet, but it's cooking and it's good and it's going to be rad. And you know I always have great surprises for you and we just keep up in our game here at Daily Beans. So you don't want to miss it. And thank you to our patrons, especially the ones who are donating memberships. You guys are just so generous. I really appreciate it. It really keeps this podcast going, especially since, you know, good old Trump, good old, uh, what was it? Ta Tangelo Genghis Khan <laughs> kicked me out of my lifetime career that I had built for myself. Um, and I'm still, I still haven't quite grieved over that, uh, and I probably should do that. So I'm going to work on that tonight. You all take care of yourselves and take care of each other and take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>